going to read verses 1 through 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I will read in the New American Standard Bible, and you follow along, if you will, in whatever version you have with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. I saw a bumper sticker, and it read this way. I may be growing older, but I refuse to grow up. Well, that could be an indication of a lot of things, but nevertheless, that is not a good mentality for a follower of Jesus Christ to have. It is true that we are only young once, but we can stay immature all of our lives as we walk through this world. I'm not talking about emotional or relational immaturity. I'm talking about spiritual immaturity. And if we are spiritually immature, we certainly will be relationally and in some way emotionally immature as well. We should follow what the Bible says in every regard, but with regard to this matter of spiritual maturity... Think about what Peter says as he gives his parting words in Second Peter. He says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word grow, I don't have to tell you, is a command. And it's just as binding upon me as a follower of Jesus and you as a follower of Jesus as any other command in the Bible. We are to grow. It's not optional. It is to be a way of life for us as well, because the command is in the present tense. Keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is to be our occupation in this life, to know Him 
and to grow in Him. This is what God has called us to. Now, as we consider this whole matter of spiritual immaturity, there are two main emphases which I believe this passage makes. They are as follows. I'm going to give each one, then come back and look in detail at both. The first of which is this. Initially, spiritual immaturity is to be expected. Got it? Initially, spiritual immaturity is to be expected. But secondly, eventually, spiritual immaturity is to be rejected. So let's begin with the first statement that I've made that comes right out of this passage. Initially, spiritual immaturity is to be expected. Growth takes time. We know that the Bible says that when we receive Christ, we are like newborn babies, actually. Look at verse 1 of our passage. Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. We all start at that basic level. And this whole matter of growth takes time. Anything of any significance, whether it's in the physical or the spiritual realm, in order for it to grow, it takes time, doesn't it? I heard a story about a young theological student came to the principal of the college that he was attending, and he asked the principal of this college, Sir, is there any way I can get out of this school more quickly than the curriculum requires? And the principal very wisely looked at this young man. He said, it depends on what you want to be. If you want to be like an oak tree, you're going to do the curriculum all the way to the end. But if you want to be a squash, you can be a squash and you can get out of here in a couple of months. It takes 50 to 100 years for an oak tree to grow. This principal told the student, it takes two to four months for a squash to grow. It depends on what kind of person we would want to be. We're always interested, especially in this day and time, in a shortcut. We want to know how to get there as quickly as we possibly can. Now, I'm not telling you that you should not aspire to grow quickly. You should. That should be our heart. But rather than focusing on the time frame, what we need to focus on is the Lord. And remember that we are to keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would conclude from that, that even though I have sought to grow in the Lord by the grace of God for over 40 years, that if I happen to live another 10 years or 20 years, whatever time I have left, I still am under the command of God to keep on growing. That's very encouraging to me. Think about the Apostle Paul, what he says in the book of Philippians, when he says he has as his goal to know Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection and to share in His sufferings. And then he goes on to say, not that I have already obtained all this. Now, this is a man who was in his 60s, who had followed Jesus for 30 plus years. This was a man who had written Scripture. This is a man who had seen churches started through him all over the Mediterranean basin. And he makes this statement, not that I've already obtained all this, not that I really know Jesus yet. Can you imagine his saying that? 
He certainly knew the Lord. Not that I've already obtained all this, but I have not also been made perfect, but I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's the goal? To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And lest I forget it, let me stop here just a moment. There are two words for know in the original language of the New Testament. One means to grow intellectually, to get information into our minds. The other includes that, but it also includes relational knowledge. It's pretty interesting to me in this particular statement, which Peter writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the last verse, the 18th verse of the third chapter of Second Peter, that he uses the word which means to gather information about the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a place that we use our minds to acquire information, doctrinal information, in order that we can be men and women who are growing. Now, the relational side is critically important, no doubt. But we need to understand what the Bible says, too. I'll talk about that a little bit more as we move on together today. We need to remember that childhood is normal and necessary on the road to maturity. We must understand that newborn Christians, those of us who are a little more mature and have been given the responsibility to oversee people's growth, we need to understand that newborn believers must be allowed to be children. It's typical for us on the human level to want to rush our children's development. Wouldn't you say that's true? Think about your first child especially. When the first child came into the family, you couldn't wait for the child to sit up, to crawl, to pull up, to walk, to talk, all those things. You were wanting this child to develop rapidly. And most of the time, the reason for that is because you wanted to be proud of your child's development. Isn't that right? And many times, this is what happens in the body of Christ. God gives us people who give their lives to Jesus, and we want to rush their development. But we need to recall what we've seen already. It takes time, and it takes a lot of investment. Now, after you've had your second or third child, you're not quite as eager, are you? to push them in their development. You know it's going to happen. And by the way, did you ever say to your one-year-old, grow? (laughs) Did you ever stand over his crib or her crib and say, grow? It didn't work, did it? It takes time. It's a process. And it does happen, thank God, that it does happen. There are things which we do as parents on the human level. We feed our children. We make sure they're kept clean. We make sure they get good medical attention. We make sure they get their rest. We make all those things possible, a good, loving environment. All those things are extremely important. But we can't make them grow. Now, this is a little different in the spiritual realm. We can't make them grow. However, we can put the things in front of them which will enable them to grow. Look at verse 2. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. The Apostle Paul gave milk. What is milk, by the way? 
whether it's comes coming from a mother of a child or from some animal. Have you ever stopped to think about the composition of milk? As I understand it, it's pre-digested food, isn't it? It's been filtered through another person, in the case of a mother or animal, to get the milk that is digestible by an infant. And that's important for us to understand. We have to, in a way, sort of pre-digest the food that we feed new believers. Get it down to where they can grasp it and they can internalize it and begin to grow in their walk with God. And let me just stop here. Here's the key to growth. If you want to know how to grow spiritually, it's very simple in terms of understanding it. If you want to help someone to grow, and many of you are in a relationship with people whom you are discipling. Maybe it's your own children, your first-line disciples. And then maybe others outside your natural family whom you are discipling. It's the Word of God in First Peter chapter 2, 2. Peter writes, Crave the pure milk of the Word by which you will grow. It's God's Word. You and I have access to the Word of God, the Bible. And we need to be men and women who are committed to the Word and taking it in. We are feeding upon it and help others whom the Lord has put in our pathway who are not as far along as we are spiritually. Help them to grow by teaching truth to them, sharing truth with them. It's not just my responsibility to do that as a pastor in this church. It's our responsibility and an incredible privilege for us to be given the opportunity to invest in others' lives. Babies must be spoon-fed, and we know they're not known for their neatness. Probably there's not a family in this room today who in your gallery of pictures of your children, you have a picture of your child when your child was maybe at his or her first birthday or before that birthday and sitting in a high chair. I have one of my grandson. He is bare-chested. He has stuff. I don't know what stuff it is, but it's all over his face and on his chest and his hands and everything. Wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? It's pretty neat to look at that. Every time I see that photo of him, I just grin and think about, boy, he's an awesome kid, you know. And he is an awesome kid. Not because he's mine, but because he's made in the image of God. But eventually that's not cute anymore. Right? I had a lady come up to me last night after I gave this message and she said, she didn't tell me how old she was. I could have guessed and I didn't try to do that because I knew I'd make a bad guess and get in trouble. But nevertheless, she said, I'm still getting stuff on my blouse when I eat. I said, well, I need to pray for you then. (laughs) But it takes patience to raise a child, doesn't it? It does. And as parents, you do it because you love your children. You stick with it. You don't give up, do you? And we need to understand that people who know Jesus, if given the opportunity, 
by being fed the pure milk of the Word of God and taught how to feed themselves. We don't want our children to be spoon-fed all their lives. Isn't it kind of exciting when a child all of a sudden wants the spoon out of your hand so he or she can feed himself or herself? That's a big day, isn't it? It's a day of declaration of independence on the part of a child, at least progression toward. And the child's still a bit messy in the process, In Christ, if properly trained, this believer or believers will grow. But what's charming in a child is alarming in an adult. So let's go to the second principle. Here's the first statement. Initially, spiritual immaturity is to be expected. But eventually, spiritual immaturity is to be rejected. When does this happen? Well, it's hard to put a number on it. Although Jesus gives us a little insight, maybe a lot, in the book of Luke chapter 13, verse 6. The Bible says, he began telling this parable, quote, A certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, the three years I have been looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any have come and gone. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? The owner of the vineyard was tired of a fruit tree not bearing fruit. That's the purpose for which it was planted. Verse 8, And the keeper of this vineyard says to him, Let it alone, sir. For this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Well, we could gather from that about four years, right? Four years. That sounds like an extremely long time, probably, for you to invest in an individual. But this is what Jesus says. And this is what Paul was, in effect, saying. He says, if you look at verse 2, the second part... Indeed, even now you are not yet able. Now, let's remember, Paul spent 18 months pouring in to these spiritual babies in Corinth. If you'll turn the page to chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, verse 15, the Scripture says, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. He was the spiritual parent of those Corinthian believers. And God gives you and me the opportunity to parent spiritually. That's what disciple-making really is. It's being a spiritual parent to people, to help them to mature and grow and not remain in a state of spiritual immaturity. When Paul wrote this letter, which we know as 1 Corinthians, four years had passed since he had first come to Corinth and preached the gospel. Four years. That corresponds to the four years that Jesus talks about in the parable in Luke chapter 13. Four years. Have you ever invested in the spiritual development of someone besides your own children for four years? Four years. That's a lot of investment. But it paid off. And it does pay off if we follow the way in which the Bible teaches. Now, what are the marks that we look for in a person to determine whether that person is mature or remains in a state of immaturity. 
we look at the diet, first of all, of the individual. Look at this passage again. Let's begin in the middle of verse 2. Indeed, even now you're not able, and he's saying, to eat solid food. So here's the beginning point. We look at the diet. Is the person moving beyond the basics of the Christian faith? Is the person whom we are trying to invest in, it could be an entire church for that matter, is the church or the individual a person or a group of people who just want to be spoon-fed? They just want Bible stories. Don't give me any tough doctrine. I don't want to have anything that I really have to chew on to understand. And we have a landscape in the church in America today which is full of immature people. Why? Because pastors like me have catered to their immaturity. We have catered to an entertainment mentality instead of edifying the body of Christ, building up the body of Christ by teaching the whole counsel of God. When Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts chapter 20, he said, I did not shy away from teaching the whole counsel of God. But today we have people whose diets have been all milk and they've never been challenged to go deeper. This does not mean that going deeper means putting things in words and terms that are impossible to understand. It means just dealing with why Jesus was crucified and what that means to us as far as the living of the Christian life. The New Testament's about Jesus, but do you know the New Testament largely was written to believers so they could understand what had happened to them when they had received Christ and been born again and were made new people in Christ? So here's one mark, the diet. And think about yourself. Do you find yourself hungry for the truth of God's Word? If you are satisfied with your level of spiritual development, you're probably still a baby. One of the characteristics of people who really are maturing in Christ is they want more. And they want more. They're not satisfied to come and hear a teaching for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning and rest on that for the rest of the week. They want to get more. They want to learn how to read the Bible. What happened to me when I started growing in the Lord? I had been a Christian for quite a while when I was really stimulated by the Spirit of God to grow in the Lord. This is what happened. As I was taught the Word of God by the pastor who was in my church, what I wanted to do, I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to understand it the way he was helping me to understand, but I wanted more. And this is tr true and typical of a person who's growing in Christ. You're not satisfied, satisfied with simply skimming the surface. You want to know what's in the Word. Not just some of it, but all of it. Now, here's another mark or characteristic of maturity or immaturity. What's the first? Check out the diet. Here's the second one. Check out the relationships in that person's life or in our own lives for that matter. Relationships were rocky in the church at Corinth. He says in verse 3, For you are still fleshly. And let's remember what the word flesh means. What does it mean? It's myself unsurrendered to the Holy Spirit. 
It's my personality apart from the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. And we know it has to do with immoral behavior. It has to do with other things. But it has to do with relationships for sure. And it's spoken of here as he continues in verse 3. Notice what he says. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Jealousy. Are you jealous of others in the body of Christ? Are you jealous of opportunities which God gives them or fruit that God gives them? Or are you happy when others in the body are used by the Lord, blessed by the Lord? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, that we, if we have the right attitude toward the successes of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will rejoice with those whom God blesses and who have spiritual success. So this is something that reflects what kind of relationships we have. Are we jealous or are we grateful for what God's giving or giving through other people? And strife. This is the idea of friction. What happens a lot of times in your house, perhaps, is that you'll find a bolt or a screw that you need to loosen, but it's tight. And it's not just tight because of the way it's sunk in to the area that it's screwed into or bolted into, but it could be because of rust. And what do we do? What do we look for in a situation like that? We want some WD-40, right? We can spray on it and it loosens it up. The oil reduces friction so that we can get that bolt out that needs to be removed. Well, friction creates strife, or is another way of saying it, strife is the right way to say it, creates friction in the body of Christ. But as we read from Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like what? Oil poured over the head, down on the collar of the robes, down to the fringe of the garment, and that garment was none other than Aaron's garment. Now, who is Aaron? Aaron is the high priest. Who is our high priest today? Jesus is our high priest. And where is Jesus best represented in the world today? In a body of believers like ours. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. Oil is a symbol of whom in the Bible? Of the Holy Spirit. So the way we overcome strife is by the Holy Spirit. Asking the Holy Spirit to control us. Remember what the flesh is? Human personality apart from the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is controlling me, what's going to be true of me? Well, here's one thing that's definitely going to be true of you and me. If we're filled with the Spirit. Paul writes about it in Romans 5. He says, The love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. If I'm filled with the Spirit, guess what I'm going to be filled with? I'm going to be filled with love. And that will cover a multitude of sins. And that will bring us to a place in the body or in the individual relationships where, where there could be strife, there is acceptance. Now, I'm not talking about acceptance of sin. I'm talking about those things that irritate you and me about each other. 
You know, sometimes some of you irritate me. (laughs) And I love you anyway. Not all the time, but I love you. Why? Because you're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. And therefore, we can tell whether people are mature by the way in which they love each other and they reject the whole idea of this strife. Jealousy and strife are out. But there's another facet of this. Look at verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Now, turn back to chapter 1 for a moment. Look at verse 12. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos. And I am of Cephas, we know from last week, that's another name for Peter, and I of Christ. Notice what he says, every one of you is in one of these four camps. You're either a Paul man, or you're an Apollos man, or you're a Peter man, or you're a Christ man. And guess what that creates? That creates bad blood in the body of Christ. I am of Pastor Mike, or I am of... Pastor Dan, or I am of Pastor Allen, or I am of Pastor Sam, or I am of the ministry of worship through music, or I am of the youth ministry, or I am of the senior adult ministry, or I am of the children's ministry, I am of celebrate recovery ministry. Look, we are of the body of Christ. We are a team. Thank God for the diversity in the body. Thank God for that. Thank God. But on the other hand, what we are apt to do if we are immature is we're going to click up around individuals or ministries in the church. And that is immaturity writ large. And we need to understand that and be sure that we do not fall prey to such thinking. Verse 5, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Servants. You know what this word means? It's not the word for slave, but it is the word used elsewhere in the New Testament language to describe someone who waits on tables. It's like the person who serves you today if you go to lunch at the greenery or somewhere. That's your server, someone who's a table waiter. And Paul says, what is Apollos? What is Paul, we're just table waiters. Now, do you see the absurdity of raising a table waiter to that level of adoration? Because Paul understood, I'm just an agent of what God wants to do. He says in Romans 15:18, I do not presume to speak about anything except what Christ has done through me. He understood this. He was not trying to make people think he was some kind of spiritual giant in saying that. He was just saying the truth, right? I'm nothing is basically what he says. He goes on to say this in this passage of Scripture. What we see here is definitely diversity of ministries. Thank the Lord, as I've said, for diversities of ministries. But he also talks about the whole idea of the spirit of humility. I hope you understand that humility is a mark of maturity. It's a mark of Jesus. It's Jesus 
way. He is the humble one. And when He lives in us, we also will be humble as He was. Look at 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Who causes a church to grow? Who causes individuals within the body to grow? It's none other than God Himself. It's the work of God. He uses people. He Thank God He used Paul and He used Apollos. He used Cephas. And He uses us. Amazingly, He uses us. Look at verse 7. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Now He who plants and He who waters are one. So we're one in purpose, are we not? That's the purpose. Unity in purpose. Because it's through that unified work that we do together that we work very harmoniously and productively. Some of you run businesses. You manage businesses or you own your business and you manage your business. And what is the death knell to the success of a business? Well, there may be many answers to that question, but one is for sure. And that is when your team is not working together. If somebody's out here doing one thing contrary to what you as the leader have encouraged them to do, you've got a problem, haven't you? And your business will not be as productive. Well, that's business, and that is very important to you. But the business of the Lord is important to Him as well. And He wants us to work together. Look at the last part of verse 8. But each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm not motivated by the idea of rewards. Well, that's okay. It's probably not the highest motive for serving the Lord, but you cannot escape the reality of the speaking and teaching of rewards in the Bible. There are going to be rewards in heaven given out. And he goes on to talk about this. Let's read a little further. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Isn't it amazing that God would choose us to be on His team, to yoke up with Him, to accomplish His purpose? In verse 10, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. Now, that's important. That's a warning. I need to be careful as to how I build on the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to identify what the foundation is in verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What is the foundation of our church? If it's the right foundation, it's the person of Christ, right? And then everything else which is built upon it is to be built in a certain way. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Now let me share with you some of the alternatives to Jesus that are possible for us as far as a foundation. Some people have as their foundation human personalities. We've already seen this. Paul or Apollos or Peter. Other than Jesus, there are these foundations. Well, another possibility is a certain methodology. We are a disciple-making church. We are a missions church. We are a youth church. We are a children's church. We are this, that, or the other. Look, 
when you or I have that kind of foundation, we're done. We might as well quit because it's not going to amount to anything. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be built up. Who is the focal point if a person is going to be mature or a church is to be mature? Jesus Christ. Very clear. Now let's look at what he goes on to say in verse 12. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation, and we know that's Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it. Now, this is talking about the day of the Lord. When Christ comes again, all mankind will be raised from the dead and given bodies. And all mankind will stand before what is known as the great white throne, and they will be judged by God. And they will be judged based upon whether they knew Jesus or not. And the sheep who are those who know Jesus will go one place. And the unbelievers who are described as goats in Matthew 25 will go another way. Then the sheep stand at another judgment. And hold your place here. And we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Excuse me, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5.10. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word translated judgment seat is the word bema or bema in the original language. And I've had the privilege to go to Corinth. And there is the representation, if not the real bema or judgment seat that Paul writes of here. It was a place where at the end of the Isthmian Games, a lot like our Olympics, when a particular athlete had won a contest and he was going to be crowned at that point, he would be giving, given a laurel wreath. It was a high honor to do that. It was where awards or rewards were given out. So that's the idea for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. That means paid for, rewarded, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, after we have been declared sheep by Jesus, and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there will be revelation. Going back, if you will now, to 1 Corinthians 3, we'll see what's going to be revealed. The first part of verse 13. Each man's work will become evident. It will be revealed. Whether what we did was, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10, good or bad. How will we know that which is good? That which is good will be represented by this building on the foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, silver, and precious stones. And that which is bad will be wood, hay, and straw. Now, in your mind's eye, construct a chart. And on this side, put those things which are good. And on this side, those things which are bad. The good things are gold, silver, and precious stones. Wood, hay, and straw. Now, let's contrast these two materials. What is true of gold, silver, and precious stones? Well, they're more or less permanent What is true of wood, hay, and straw? They're temporary. 
especially when exposed to fire, right? And then what else is true about gold, silver, and precious stones? They're valuable. And what's true of wood, hay, and straw? They're pretty, pretty cheap, comparatively speaking. And then over here on this side of the chart, what is true of gold, silver, and precious stones? They're hard to obtain. But look on the other side, what's true of the wood, hay, and straw? They're more easily obtained, right? So what is this talking about? What is God's Spirit saying to us? It would be the same thing which He would have said to the Corinthians, to the Apostle Paul. What are we to build our lives on? We're to build our lives on the person of Jesus Christ, obviously, but the gold, silver, and precious stones would be the fruit which is born through our lives. As we abide in Christ, the life of Christ flows into our lives, and Christ ministers through us. As we feed on the Word of God and we grow spiritually, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. So it has to do with my abiding in Christ as a branch abides in a vine and produces fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, sure, love and joy and peace and all the other characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, but it's also those people whose lives are touched by Christ in the body of Christ, but people whom the Lord uses us to reach who don't know Jesus. And they come to know the Lord. And we invest in them. We see to it that they go from a place of immaturity to a place of maturity. As we grow, we help them to grow and follow the Lord. The things that we do in dependence upon the Lord will survive the burn at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let's read a little further here. In verse 13, the middle of it says, For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. Remember, it's a time of revelation. God will burn that foundation upon which we have built our house and everything on it. The foundation is Jesus Christ. It's untouchable. But there will be some things, nobody's perfect in this, but there will be some people whose lives will be characterized by those combustible things, and they'll go up in flames. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. That's encouraging. You and I are not going to be measured by the quantity of work we do, but the quality. And many times we measure our success as a church or a ministry within the church by the number of people who are involved. We don't need merely to count, and people count. So don't mishear what I'm saying. But we need to weigh those people, too. Are they people who are maturing in Christ? Is there any evidence of the person of Christ in their lives? Are they showing forth evidence that they're building their lives out of things that will last as they depend upon the Lord to produce those things through them? And then verse 15, If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So here's the picture. There will be some people at the judgment seat of Christ who everything's burned up and all that's left is the foundation. They're going to be saved, is what the Bible says. I wouldn't recommend that if I were to give you advice. That's not a goal that we would have. That we just get into heaven. It's going to be good under any circumstances. Heaven's going to be phenomenal under any circumstance. But 
when I stand before the Lord, and I think you do too, and let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2 rather quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. And as you turn there, Paul says in Colossians 1, he says, We proclaim Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man, that we may present every man complete, and the word translated complete can be mature, mature in Christ. So to whom are we going to present people? To whom do you think we're going to present? To Jesus, I believe. And when's that going to happen? At the judgment seat of Christ. That's when it's going to happen. Now, let's look at this 1 Corinthians 2, 19 and 20. Paul says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. The people whom the Lord uses you and me to touch with His love to help those people grow and become maturing in Christ. Those are the people that we will present. I know you would hope that you'll have someone to present to the Lord. Someone. Maybe many someones. And if you devote yourself to the Lord and trust in Him, He will give you much opportunity to do that in the course of your life. And this is our joy and our crown And our glory is what Paul writes. So think about the picture which Paul is painting on the human level. Let's say tonight, in the middle of the night, you are awakened and you realize that your house is on fire. And you have spent a long time getting to that point. For instance, here I am. I've been around a long time and... I poured all the money that I have made, not all of it, but a lot of it, into building a nice home. And it's in flames. And I get out with the clothes on my back. That's all I get out of the house with. I'm out and I look back on the house in flames. I'm going to have two emotional responses. One is going to be relief that I got out. Right? I'm alive. But another is going to be remorse because everything... I have spent my life doing is burned up. That won't be too nice, will it? The judgment seat of Christ will be like that. Now, reality is, all of us are going to have a pile of ashes. And hopefully, all of us are going to have something that remains. And we need to be men and women who are committed to growing ourselves. We can't grow ourselves, but you know what I'm saying, to respond to the opportunity for spiritual growth and to help others get right with the Lord, to help others to grow in the Lord and become mature. That's our hope, isn't it? Certainly it is. So that when that time comes, we'll have some sort of reward in heaven. That's our opportunity. And look, this is not beyond any man or woman who knows Jesus Christ in this room. That's God's will for your life. We have... Talking about preachers again, in this day and time, we have been so remiss in teaching people this truth that you have opportunity and responsibility to help others come to know Christ and to grow in the Lord. And it frightens people when they think about it. I know that. Frightened me for a long time until someone taught me it's the Lord's responsibility to save people. I can't save anybody. I'm just 
a messenger boy. And I'm not talking about being a preacher. I'm just talking about sowing the seed of the Word of God, sharing Jesus with other people, and let the results be in His hands. He's the one who saves people. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says this, When I was a child, and he uses the word nipios, which means infant. It was used to describe John the Baptist when he was still in his mother, mother Elizabeth's womb. Infant. When I was an infant, I spoke as an infant. I thought as an infant. I reasoned as an infant. But when I became a man, in other words, when I became a mature spiritual person, a maturing spiritual person, I did away with those childish things, those baby things, those play pretties, my own selfishness. Maturing is rooted in my giving up my independence in exchange for the Lord's rulership in my life. Robert E. Lee, after he had suffered great disgrace, he'd been stripped of his citizenship, Part of his property was confiscated by the United States government for a penalty for his part in the Civil War. And now Arlington Memorial Cemetery is on that piece of ground. He was still highly revered in the South, in his own state of Virginia. Particularly, he was in Richmond, Virginia one day, and he's walking down the street. And a lady saw him. She had her infant child in her arms. And she said, General Lee, would you bless my child? And he said, yes, I will, madam. And he reached for the child, took the child in his arms before he prayed for the child. This is what he said to this child's mother. Madam, teach your child, teach your son to deny himself. That's the only advice he gave her. And in so doing, he was saying what the Bible says. If any man wishes to come after me... Let him deny himself. Say no to yourself in order that you might say yes to God. That's the call of God on our lives. Would you bow your head? Are you a person who is in need of growth? Well, go to the Word of God. Would you just tell the Lord, Lord, I need to grow. I've been lax in my spiritual growth. Lord, rekindle hunger in my heart for you and your word. And if you're here today and you have a heart to help others grow, you want to, you say, Lord, I want to help other people mature. Please help me. Give me wisdom. Give me opportunity. Say that to the Lord. You know, if you're hungry to help others to grow, you will. Because that's something the Lord's put in your heart. It's not natural. For us to want that. That's supernatural. Because it's God who is at work in you. Both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Thank you Lord. Help us to be a church. that's like Jesus. Help us to be a maturing church. In Jesus name we ask this. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a good week.